This is The Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. We're midway through August already. Last week, we topped top 50 NBA prospects for the 2020 draft. I think it would be a little bit repetitive to talk 2020 draft again since not much has changed since last week. Although, the Nike Skills Academy did just wrap up. And that's an event scouts actually put some stock into heading into next season. Guys who pop there could suddenly become more of a priority on the scouting watch list entering the season. But we're still going to skip 2020 draft. And we're going to skip World Cup because that's what every other network and podcast and TV show and article will be talking about. Because that's really the only action going on in the NBA over the next month. So let's take the time machine back. I want to keep the theme of draft alive because that's really what this podcast is about, scouting in the draft. Let's head back to 2017 to what I thought was one of the most fascinating drafts since I've been covering them full-time for NBADraft.net and Bleacher Report. 2017 led with Markel Fultz at number one after the Philadelphia 76ers traded a future first-rounder to move up two spots from number three to get that top pick with the Boston Celtics in that deal. I think now is a good time to redraft 2017's class because I was doing it the other day in my head and it's, it, it changed. I mean, it's amazing how much it changes from one year to the next. I did a redraft, of course, last year. It's a popular exercise to do. And looking at those players who are now going to be third-year NBA players, I'd change it again. I'd have a new number one at the top. So let's start redrafting 2017. We'll do 2018 afterwards, but not as extensively. I'm going to try not to get too caught up in team fit. Let's just draft best player available. And so I think the number one pick of the 2017 redraft, I'm going with the Aaron Fox at this point. Now, Fox, who's with USA Basketball right now, he may not be as good as Tatum or Donovan Mitchell in 2020. But I'm buying Fox's trajectory. I love the jump he made from his rookie to sophomore year. He became a more complete player, not just an athletic slasher who loves to get downhill and get out in transition, but he improved his skill level and feel pretty dramatically, you know, over a course of one year. Now, looking back, you know, when he was at Kentucky, the big fear with Fox was, can he shoot? You know, how much is that going to hinder his upside and ceiling? If he never develops a jumper. But I used to say when we were when I was scouting him in Kentucky, I'd say if you've never seen this kid play in your entire life, this is the first time you're ever watching De'Aaron Fox and you watch him take a jump shot. There's no way you'd say that guy's a 27% three-point shooter, which is what he was at Kentucky. The form, the fluidity, it all looked better than the numbers suggested. And so we saw him from his rookie to sophomore year jump from 30% from downtown to 37% from downtown, making over a three-pointer per game. I actually had more concern about how high level of a playmaker he'd be at the NBA level. And again, another big jump, four and a half assists to seven and a half assists. There we give some of Fox credit for Buddy Heald's explosion last year when he averaged 21 a game and shot 42% from three. Unlike Donovan Mitchell, I think Darren Fox has a better chance at making the guys around him better. I could even say the same about Jason Tatum. I also think we know who Mitchell and Tatum are in terms of player styles and what they're going to bring on the night-to-night basis. They're scorers. That's what they are. And they score with a pretty tough shot selection at times. And I think it may be tough to maintain efficiency and winning team basketball 
with those particular styles. Now, that's not to say neither of them will be all-stars because I think both of them will eventually crack an all-star team. They're going to be such high-level scorers. They'll be you know, top options in an offense of playoff teams. But Fox, I mean, I still I don't know where his ceiling goes. And I think he's eventually going to be a 20-plus point scorer, you know, close to eight to nine assists a game in his prime. He's already at 37% from three in his second year, and that was considered the big weakness coming out of college. I compared him to Mike Conley coming out of college, actually. Tough defender. Jump shot out of college wasn't great, but projectable. I know Fox is more athletic, but I didn't necessarily see Fox being that high-level scorer. Just the way Conley was never that high-level scorer. He was valued for his toughness, his decision-making, his defense. But Fox, I think, has another level in terms of scoring upside. And so I think he has the chance to suddenly be one of the NBA's not only most exciting point guards, but one of the most valuable point guards and most well-rounded point guards when it's all said and done. So I'm taking Darren Fox, and just a guy who I also really enjoy off the floor. I think he just gets it. I think he's going to start to figure things out. And again, not only get the stats up to all-star level, but bring his teammates up and elevate the Sacramento Kings. So yeah, of course, there are problems with fit with Fox and Ben Simmons and Philly. But come on, don't be a nerd. Let it go. Let's ignore fit during this fake redraft that'll never happen. I think if we were to do it all again, the best player available at number one overall is De'Aaron Fox. Now, number two, where do we go? Los Angeles Lakers. They're not taking Lonzo Ball again. I think the question right now is who'd you rather have long-term? Jason Tatum or Donovan Mitchell? Coin flip. You can make an argument for both. I think in this particular situation, we'll have team fit play a role. We'll take Donovan Mitchell at number two overall in the redraft. I know I just talked shit about Mitchell's shot selection, but when he's on, I mean, he is a 40-point explosion waiting to happen. He's fun. He could take over games, which I think is a valuable skill or strength in today's league. You know, fourth quarter, crunch time, give the ball to Mitchell. Super valuable to have a guy like that who can create and make shots from all over the floor out of any situation, create things from nothing. It'll be interesting to see how Mitchell channels his shot selection over the next you know handful of years. He shot 43% from the floor in back-to-back seasons. And I think to take your game to another level, to not just be a stats guy, but to be a, a true all-star, you got to be a little bit more efficient than 43% from the floor. But anyway... 22 years old. I'll take him at number two in this redraft to Lakers as a third option behind, wow, LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's like a video game. Number three overall, the Boston Celtics again take Jason Tatum. I think this is a pretty easy decision here based on who else is left on the board. Larry Markinen, Lonzo Ball, John Collins, Kyle Kuzma. Tatum at number three seems safe. He could probably go number two. I'm sure there are some out there who'd make a case that Tatum is still the best prospect from the 2017 class. He took a bit of a step, I guess, sideways as a sophomore. I wouldn't say he went backwards. He certainly didn't go forwards, but still a very polished score, advanced shot creator. I don't think it was so surprising to see his three-point percentage dip from 43% to 37%. I think that's more of an accurate indicator of where he is as a shooter. It's still important to remember that Tatum is only 21 years old. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about him forever, dating back to high school. 
And, I mean, he's already one of the most, like I said before, polished shot creators. So advanced, creating separation for himself. And not just creating, but making shots. He is a versatile shot maker. Fall arounds, turnarounds, pull-ups, step-backs, spot-ups. He's got every trick and shot in the bag. And so now the question with Tatum is, doing it on a nightly basis and doing it within the flow of the offense. And it's also important, I think, as a wing in today's league to become a better playmaker. I mean, like guys like Paul George, they average four assists a game. DeRozan, five assists a game. You know, Paul Pierce, a guy I compared him to a lot coming out of Duke, was averaging you know four and a half assists a game during his prime. Tatum needs to uh, become a little bit more of a passer. I think it's also worth noting that before the 2017 draft, Tatum was number five on my board. I wasn't super in love with him, mainly because he falls in love with those mid-range shots. And I think we kind of saw more of that last year and may have annoyed Celtics fans. A lot of those contested, lower percentage, Carmelo Anthony type shots. So maybe get rid of some of those, expand on his playmaking ability. But again, 21 years old, a lot of room to grow, no concerns about character and a good organization. I think there's plenty of good reason to feel optimistic and, and buy into his development over the next handful of years. Now, number four overall in the redraft, here's where it gets tricky. Because we know the Phoenix Suns aren't taking Josh Jackson again. They've already traded him after two NBA seasons. At number four, I think you're looking at Markinen, John Collins, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball as a case. Jonathan Isaac, I think, has a case, although probably not the pick here this early. I think Markinen is the guy who would go on most boards. I think John Collins is a little bit underrated. Uh, for Phoenix, though, the answer is Markinen. Seven-footer, back-to-back seasons, over two threes per game. The Suns just finished with the worst three-point percentage in the NBA. They could use a floor spacer at that four. That was supposed to be Dragon Bender. Whoops. Bender now with Milwaukee and probably will be headed overseas when he does not become a factor there. Anyway, Markkinen, had he not had some health issues last year, would have probably received more recognition. What stood out to me with Markkinen is how much more effective he's been around the basket than I thought he would be coming out of Arizona. Had the reputation of being a bit soft, doesn't like physicality, wasn't a dominant rebounder. Last year, he averaged nine boards a game. He shot a high percentage from the floor. Also, his perimeter skills have carried right over. Clearly that jump shot, which is smooth as can be. And he only shot 36% last year. I think eventually he could be a 40% three-point shooter. But his ability to create off the dribble for a guy his size, separate into jump shots, get all the way to the basket, attack closeouts, a very versatile offensive player. There were comparisons to Porzingis before the 2017 draft. I don't think he has that explosion that Porzingis does, and he's not as tall. So tougher to get those cleaner looks around the perimeter. But still, number four overall, I think the Phoenix Suns would be happy um, if they were to take Markkinen at four and not have wasted those years on Josh Jackson. Number five, the Sacramento Kings. We're not giving up on Lonzo Ball. I think the Kings who would need a point guard now that Fox would have gone number one, I think they go with Lonzo Ball. and, And Ball had some injury problems the first two years. He had to deal with some major roster turnover. I mean, imagine just in your second year, suddenly LeBron James is on your team and you're a guy who's had the ball in his hands a lot his whole life from high school to UCLA. And suddenly now you're joined by LeBron James. I think not only is that tough to adjust to on the floor, but personality-wise. I mean, you want to 
please, LeBron, you want to make all the right plays for the veterans who are on that team because he was a youngster on a team with older guys. I think he's in a much better situation, Lonzo, this year with New Orleans, with younger guys going through the same things that he is. I think Drew Holiday is going to be great for him. He's probably a more approachable leader than LeBron was. So I'm expecting bigger things from Lonzo Ball this year. I mean, nothing has changed with regarding his basketball IQ and passing instincts and ability to create easy, open looks for teammates. The question with Lonzo Ball is how high does your ceiling go if you can't be a big-time scorer at the point guard position? And that was the same question I asked before the 2017 draft, and now it's in his third year, and I'm asking the same thing. He's played two years. He hasn't averaged in double figures in scoring either of those first two seasons. His three ball has regressed, which you know wasn't a major shock given those mechanics and extending the three-point line out. I think Lonzo will eventually get that shot to be a little bit more reliable, but scoring inside the arc is always going to be a challenge for him given his athletic limitations and lack of off-the-dribble scoring skills. That's just not really in his game. He's a passer. He's a ball mover. He's a shot maker off step backs and spot-ups, but he's not a big pull-up guy. He's not an explosive slasher or driver in the half court. I think he's going to add value to your team with his perimeter defense which I didn't give enough credit coming out of UCLA. I'll admit that. He's been obviously much better in the NBA. Great uh, instincts and anticipation on the ball. Good size to guard a couple positions. So I still think he's going to be a very valuable point guard in today's league. And the Kings would would need that. You know, Based on who else is left, I think he'd be the most valuable piece to them. However, I don't see Lonzo Ball becoming an all-star point guard. So that's my take on Lonzo. I still expect good things for him and think he's going to be an asset in this league as a starter. But I think his ceiling only goes so high again without that big-time scoring ability for a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands. At number six, I think we're going best player available for the Orlando Magic, who initially took Jonathan Isaac, who wasn't a bad pick. He was top five on my board coming out of college. But in a redraft, I think the Orlando Magic at six take John Collins, who is already averaging nearly 20 points a game, shooting around 57% from the floor. Trey Young gets a lot of credit, or deserved a lot of credit last year in Atlanta. But let's not forget how good John Collins was. He also improved his three-point range, knocking down almost one per game, and I think he has a lot more room to improve in that area as a shooter, as a pick-and-pop guy, a stretch four. The big concern with John Collins is his defense. Can he be a rim protector? Can he be a switchable big man? Does he have the awareness those are question marks that are going to, are going to affect his overall value. But if he's already a 20 and 9 guy shooting 57% from the floor, what's he going to be in his 5th 6th season? I like where his game is going offensively. It'll be interesting to see again how much he improves the other areas, the defense uh, particularly and, and we'll see how much he continues to improve as a jump shooter, but he is just an animal around the basket, explosive as can be improving skill level inside the arc with post-ups, with face-up moves, and you know just a, a big-time off-ball score, diving uh, off screens and, and crashing the offensive glass. So a really good player right now. The question is how high does his ceiling go? But still, at number six overall, I think uh, he becomes the best player available just ahead of Kyle Kuzma, who I think would go number seven overall to the Chicago Bulls. Now, Kuzma's value is tough to assess. There are some who think he is a future all-star. 
There's some who think he's an empty stats guy. I think Kuzma's identity in this league, his role is to just score. And that may be best suited in a bench role, in a six-man role. I don't know what's going to happen in L.A., what his uh, role on the depth chart is going to be as a six-man or as a starter. But I think he's going to be most valuable uh, in a six-man role where you can limit his defensive mistakes. You could pull him if his shooting is off. It dipped to 30% from downtown last year. His first year was 36%, which really came out of nowhere uh, based on what he did through three years at Utah. But he's still a very versatile scorer and shot maker. You could put him on the ball to create. You could put him off the ball to stretch the floor and knock down those catch-and-shoot threes. The question with Kuzma, will, will he be efficient and consistent enough offensively to offset or neutralize his defensive limitations? Because I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a plus defender. I think at this point, you just have to hope that he becomes an average defender. But there is still plenty of value tied to his scoring and shooting potential. This is a big year for his shooting potential, I think, in terms of his reputation. Another year at 30% may affect his next contract. Either way, I think he's the surest bet on the board at number seven. And the Bulls would take him to play Larry Markkinen's role. Markkinen, we have already redrafted at number four overall to Phoenix. At number eight, the New York Knicks do not take Frank Nilekina. Instead, they take Jonathan Isaac. Isaac went six overall in the regular draft. Eight overall here, I think, is excellent value. His breakout is coming. I think he's going to be a late bloomer. Injuries his first year. Second year, just trying to get rhythm. He he lacked polish coming out of college anyway. Never considered an NBA-ready player um, out of the draft. But now he's up to 234 pounds, reportedly. If you watch the blue-white scrimmage, remember he's playing for the select team at USA Basketball Camp. He scored 11 points, 5 rebounds, 4 steals, a couple assists. He looks stronger. He looks a little bit more confident in his offense. Now, early on in Isaac's career, his value has been tied to his defensive versatility, his defensive potential as a guy who can guard positions five through two. He can switch. He has good instincts in terms of making plays on the ball. 1.8 blocks per 40 minutes, 1.1 steals per 40 minutes, per 36 minutes, I should say, uh, last season. And so the question with Isaac was, was his offense ever going to come around? Now, dating back to high school, He's always giving you the flash plays. He's 6'10", and in flashes and spurts, he's shown crossovers into pull-ups. He's shown threes. He's shown slashes to the basket and tough finishes. Now, he's never put it all together. He's never been a polished, refined shot creator. But it's in his bag. It's in his, you know, his potential. If he could just do it more consistently and become a little bit sharper with his execution. And I think after USA Basketball Camp this summer, he should enter his third year also coming off 75 games played as a sophomore, he should have a little bit more confidence uh, heading into season number three. And so I think he's the best player available. Honestly, I might even take him long-term over Kyle Kuzma as a higher-risk, higher-reward type of play. But I'm excited about Isaac, who was top five on my board coming out of college, maybe a bit high, but it just shows you know my vision for him with his two-way versatility, a guy who can guard every spot defensively, particularly now that he's 234, could probably guard centers. And I'd actually like to see him play center this year for Orlando when Vucevic is sitting. But also a potential mismatch offensively uh, as a hybrid forward who could play some three, play some four. And again, I still love him at that five. I think he's going to be such a mismatch with his perimeter skills and his quickness. 
Uh, and I love his team basketball, only takes good shots, uh, knows how to play within a system, within an offense. Um, so I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of Jonathan Isaac, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in seasons number three through six uh, with the Orlando Magic. I wish he was drafted by another team so it wouldn't be, in, so he wouldn't be in such a clunky lineup with Aaron Gordon and Vucevic and now Mo Bamba. They just signed Al Farouk Aminu. They just drafted... Chuma Okiki. So Orlando never seems to go small in the draft. Always go big. I hope it doesn't affect their young players' development. But anyway, redraft Jonathan Isaac at number eight to the Knicks. At number nine, the Dallas Mavericks are not taking Dennis Smith Jr., who falls in the redraft, probably to the late lottery range. At number nine, how about Bam Adebayo? Adebayo is going to get a real chance this year now that Hassan Whiteside is in Portland. Bam is the starting center. I think we're going to see him do things that he was never given the freedom to do both at Kentucky and in Miami early in his career. Now, again, his value right now is still tied to his athleticism around the basket and defensive versatility is a switchable big. But I think he's got some more shot creation in his bag than he's given credit for. I think he's got some more touch in the mid-range. It'll be interesting to see if he has the green light to take more jump shots. Uh, I think recently their coaching staff has talked about giving him more of a playmaking role somebody who could put the ball down on the floor. And so I think there's just a lot of untapped potential with Bam Adebayo. And he's got one of those high floors. I mean, worst comes to worst, he's going to be that energizer who gives you the easy baskets and the rebounds and the passes and the switches on defense. Uh, how high does his scoring ceiling go at his playmaking ceiling? Because, you know, it used to be just, oh, if a big guy can shoot, he's really valuable. But now it's, can the big guy shoot and create and pass? Playmaking bigs. And I think Miami's coaching staff sees that in Bam, and he's going to have a a lot more opportunity this year. And so, anyway, Dallas Mavericks would take him here at number nine as a best player available. He'd be fun to watch with Porzingis, Uh, that four-five duo, and and Doncic. There, Dallas is one of got to be top the league pass rankings this year of teams to watch. Uh, You put Bam and Abayo there, and, and they'd maybe move up another spot on that list. So Bam Adebayo redrafted at number nine. And I think at number 10, the Portland Trailblazers, who remember they traded up uh, 20 and 15 to get originally Zach Collins at number 10. I think this year they'd take Jared Allen over Zach Collins. Allen, who for whatever reason played summer league, I think made it pretty clear that he's ready to break out. I mean, he, he made a big jump from his first year to his second year. And I think DeAndre Jordan joining Brooklyn will only create more motivation for Jared Allen. That may have been behind his decision to play in Summer League, the the motivation to show how good he really can be. And so I think we'll see a little bit more offense this year from Jared Allen. Uh, He's been very efficient and effective around the basket, not just finishing, but protecting the rim with his giant 7'5 wingspan. Uh, Gets you those easy baskets. Does not need the ball in his hands. Is not a catch and hold guy. Doesn't take too many post-ups. Doesn't take too many jump shots. And still impacts games. I think this year we'll see some more touch. Are they going to give him some, run some plays for him in that mid-range where he can show off some touch, maybe some more post moves, uh, somebody to run offense through. But even if they don't, I think he holds plenty of value as a rim protector uh, and as an offensive efficiency, uh, rim runner, finisher, offensive rebounder, easy basket type player. Um, but I think at this point, he becomes the best player available at number 10 for the Portland Trailblazers. We'll be a little more brief 
on the rest of the lottery. Number 11, the Charlotte Hornets do not take Malik Monk, who who even knows if he goes first round, which is pretty wild. I think he does, probably late 20s. Uh, but I think if they were to do it again, the Charlotte Hornets would take Derek White. I was big on Derek White coming out of Colorado, former Juco transfer to Colorado to the first round of the draft to score 36 points in the playoffs for the Spurs last year. This is just a kid you don't want to bet against. He continues to defy the odds and rise. Uh, I love his game. Uh, the fact that he continues to get better regardless of what setting, an advanced shot creator off the dribble, a, a tough shot maker, a guy who can catch fire, and a guy who has some playmaking potential to his game, a true combo guard. I'm a big fan of Derek White, uh, number 11 to the Charlotte Hornets in the redraft. At number 12, the Detroit Pistons go with OG Anunoby. Injuries have you know held him back a little bit. He's still a little bit limited as a shot creator, but when he is in his prime, his body is just going to be ridiculous and it's going to be built to guarding the opposing team's top perimeter score and as long as OG Ananobi can be a good enough outside shooter I think he's going to be too efficient scoring inside the arc too effective defending multiple positions Uh, again if he could just knock down those open threes he is going to be a very valuable uh, three and D role player in today's league I think he goes number 12 overall in the redraft to the Detroit Pistons at number 13 I think it's time for the Utah Jazz to take Dennis Smith Jr. And maybe this may even be high for Dennis Dennis Smith Jr. I know some still see star potential. I'm a little bit more pessimistic in Dennis Smith converting all that talent that he has, which is probably top five talent, into winning basketball. I'm still in wait and see mode on his jump shot and certainly his decision making, but I think at number 13 overall, the potential reward is worth the risk. So explosive, super confident, the ability to take over and have scoring outbursts. He is a very good passer if he just picks his spots a little bit better. We'll see if he develops any better this year in New York. There's always been a lot of talk about whether Dennis Smith cares more about his brand uh, than his winning percentage as a lead guard. Hopefully Alfred Payton this year in New York creates a little bit more motivation and pushes him a little bit harder. Uh, But either way, Utah Jazz, number 13 overall in the redraft, take Dennis Smith Jr., And the last pick will go Miami Heat, number 14. I think it's time for Zach Collins. Uh, Collins has been a flash guy through two years, um, and he's so young that I think it's worth, again, betting on his development over the next couple of years. He's flashed a little bit of everything uh, from shooting to post-scoring to rim protection. Can he put it all together? I I think it's anybody's guess, but given his age, given his physical tools, Uh, Given his competitiveness, I think it's worth betting on with the number 14 pick in a redraft to the Miami Heat. I think this is a good time to shout out the sportsinformationtraders.com. Football season is here, people. It's time to start placing your bets for NFL and college football. Blue Wire is teaming up with sports information traders and the legend John Prince, one of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given the chance to make more money on football this season. Go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue and get the college football and NFL futures plays and make up to 15 times your money for only a $99 investment. Last year, sports information traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. The year before that, Kurt Presley of sports information traders made $1 million with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. John Price and the sports information traders team can guide you on the best ways to make money on future bets, and preseason future betting picks. 
You get all of that for just $99 and the opportunity to make 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting Sports Information Traders betting picks. Sports Information Traders has been featured in ESPN, Gambling911.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more. John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years. Make a big return for a small investment with Sports Information Traders Future Picks. Get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue. Again, make sure to go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue to have your chance at a 15-time return this football betting season. Let's move on to the 2018 redraft. Another fascinating class. Last year, the all-rookie team were the top five picks. I mean, that never happens. So I guess everyone should feel good about the way they drafted, although I'd make certain tweaks to a redraft board uh, that actually closer reflect my pre-draft rankings before 2018. So I think at number one overall and a redraft of 2018, the Phoenix Suns, I mean, I don't know what they do. I certainly wouldn't take DeAndre Ayton. I didn't have him number one on my board before that draft. I wouldn't have him number one again in the redraft. I had Luka Doncic at number one heading into the 2018 draft. And in a redraft, I'm taking Luka Doncic number one again. I think he's got the chance to be one of the top players in the NBA soon. And I think his style of play, and he has a better chance at impacting winning than anybody else in this class. And I think that's what the Phoenix Suns need. Not just another stats guy, but somebody who can elevate your roster. And, you know, I can go all the way back to EuroLeague when Doncic uh, was a superstar there at 18 years old. But you could just see it last year with Dallas, regardless of what their record was or what his numbers were. Doncic is just a leader and a super competitive kid who entered the NBA scoring 20 points a game. I certainly didn't have that in my projections. Now, I had Doncic number one. I didn't think it was going to happen so fast, uh, particularly as a scorer. I mean, we knew about his passing, and we knew that was going to translate. But the fact that his scoring carried over this early, the fact that he was creating separation the way he was last year, I mean, that was the main concern. Is he athletic enough to separate against NBA-level defenders? And I think he showed he clearly was. The only you know, critique we could have on Doncic is defending quicker guards. But I think long-term, if you put him on twos or threes or even fours, I think that's the way to go with Doncic. Maybe use him as a secondary playmaker on offense instead of the primary point guard. But still, he's going to have the ball in his hands more than any other Maverick. Uh, and him and Porzingis are going to be crazy fun together. Doncic would elevate the Suns the way Aiton cannot. So I, I'm going with Doncic at number one overall in the redraft. At number two overall, the Sacramento Kings. Bagley had a fine you know, rookie season when he played, but he was not top four on my board coming out of college, and he isn't after one year in the NBA. Jaron Jackson was number two out of my board on my board coming out of Michigan State, and he's still two on my long-term board for a redraft. If I were the Kings, I'd take Jackson second. I think he's got the chance, again, to be one of those, you know, I hate to use the word, but unicorn-type players uh, who's unlike most players at his position, uh, near seven-footer, with effortless three-point range, the ability to create separation into those three-pointers, uh, to attack closeouts, uh, to finish around the basket, both easy buckets and post-ups. Uh, but then the icing on the cake is his defensive upside. You know, the switchability, the defensive playmaking, the rim protection. Uh, I think when you put it all together, you have potentially one of the most complete big men in the NBA. 
and given the fact that he doesn't turn 20 until next month, uh, and just knowing his personality and the fact that he's had a father in the NBA, I'm factoring those in uh, to my projection for him, all working in his favor. Uh, I'm betting on it. He's just a, a gamble worth taking. Now, he's you know not as good maybe as Aiton is right now or Trey Young is right now, but Jaron Jackson Jr. has the chance to be one of the most versatile two-way big men in the league, and I'm going with him in the redraft at number two. At number three, originally the Hawks had this pick. They traded down to the Mavericks. Regardless of who's picking at number three, I think the answer is Trey Young. Uh, Trey Young has quickly learned after a rough first month of the NBA season, and he just got better and better. Um, again, we knew the passing was going to translate. I had Trey Young top five on my board coming out of college because of his passing ability. The question I had was his scoring efficiency. Not just his shot selection, but can he finish around the basket around longer defenders? Can he create separation away from the basket? Was he going to be a consistent enough shooter? I think he's proven in one year, or at least over the last four months of the season, uh, that he's ready and, and that he can execute against NBA point guard defenders. High-level shot maker, elite-level playmaker, um, and, and another guy with tremendous worth, work ethic, always looking to prove doubters wrong. And he's had plenty of doubters uh, since he was the face of college basketball last year. But even before that, he was snubbed from some teams in high school. Uh, there's always been some skepticism around Trey Young. And uh, there shouldn't be any more. He's going to be an all-star point guard in the NBA. And I think he's going to take the Hawks to that next level with John Collins. Uh, wh- however you want to set up this redraft, whether it's the Hawks or Mavericks picking at number three, I think he's the number three player overall on the redraft board behind Doncic and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, at number four, the Grizzlies, I think they would go with DeAndre Ayton here. Ayton is a pretty polarizing guy, despite the fact that he just averaged 16 and 10 and shot 58% from the floor as a rookie. I think the big question, again, is is Ayton's game um, synonymous with winning? And is he a, a new school center? And does it matter that he's not probably a new school center, not a guy who's going to put the ball down on the floor, not a playmaker, not a high-level rim protector, uh, but he's super efficient around the basket. Um, I thought we'd see a little bit more shooting last year. I don't know if that had to do with coaches not giving him a green light to step outside and knock down jumpers. I think we're going to see that a lot more moving forward, and that's why I still have him at number four uh, because I think eventually he's going to be a a 20-10 guy uh, and shoot over 50% from the floor and not just give you that inside physical presence uh, as a scorer in the paint, but also a guy who could step out and, and stretch it a little bit as a pick-and-pop guy, as a spot-up guy, because uh, that was something he always tried to prove in high school, and sometimes to a fault. When I used to scout him in high school, he used to say, play to your strengths. Stop trying to show everybody that you're a new school stretch five because you're more effective around the basket. And that's what he did last year in Phoenix, and that's why he was so efficient offensively. He's got to answer some questions about his effort and his motor and certainly his defensive awareness, which I think was better last year than some thought it would be. And maybe that was something that was a little bit overblown coming out of Arizona, uh, his low block rate. Remember, he also played a lot of four that year at Arizona. So I think there's still some uh, optimism or there should be in terms of his room to improve defensively and certainly as a shooter. Uh, So I like him at number four overall uh, behind Trey Young, uh, again, because of you know, we're getting that close. I'm favoring the guards. I think it's more important today to have an elite guard than it is to have an elite center. 
Uh, number five overall, again, whether it's the Hawks or the Mavericks picking, I think it's going to be Marvin Bagley, who was number six on my board coming out of college, and that was pretty low. I had some questions about Bagley's ability to create shots. I had ba- questions about Bagley's ability to consistently make outside shots uh, and his defense. And that weighed into why I didn't have him as the number two overall prospect, which is what Sacramento originally clearly had him or what we think we had they had him. Um, but at number five overall, I think best player available. He's getting some good experience right now uh, with USA Basketball and that select team. Uh, crazy good athletically. Uh, his quickness is really what fuels his effectiveness, his functional athleticism, uh, a guy who can move really fast, get to spots as a cutter, um, a quick jumper around the basket. And uh, I think he showed some more touch uh, last year than we thought he would right away. And so I think the hope for Bagley is that he becomes a more consistent three-point shooter, that he improves his off-the-dribble game, uh, creating for himself as a face-up guy, gets a little bit stronger around the basket and improves his defensive awareness and rotations and all that stuff. And uh, another guy who's so young, uh, 20 years old, so so much room to improve and already so much to be excited about. Uh, but I think Bagley is the answer at number five overall in the redraft. At number six overall, finally, the Orlando Magic pass on the big guy. And they got to take Shea Gilgis-Alexander here. If they had a chance to get Shea in a redraft, I don't think they'd pass knowing what he could do out there and, and how quickly his game translated last year for the Clippers. Now, with the thunder, what a mind blow. I mean, to think that he was going to get traded, I know uh, it was obviously a, a no-brainer type deal um, getting Paul George in, in the Kawhi package. But who could have predicted that after the rookie season Shea had, that by his sophomore year in the NBA, he'd be with a different team? Uh, interesting to see what OKC is going to do with Shea and Chris Paul. If Chris Paul is going to stay there, if they're going to uh, try and move on from him and start to give Shea lead guard reps. But uh, again, redraft, 6'6", 7'0", wingspan, just a very smart, skilled player off the dribble, excellent ball handling skills, doesn't take a lot of threes, which is, you know, a bit of a question mark for a guard, but he does a good job of taking good jumpers and making a decent percentage of the ones he takes. A lot to like about his defensive upside, uh, being a guy who can guard both of those backcourt spots. Uh, I, I just love his efficiency and versatility in today's league. I question how high his scoring upside is. I don't know if he's ever going to be a 20-point guy, but I think he could still reach a star level without being one because of uh, the value he adds in all the other categories in terms of passing, defending, and efficiency. At number seven, is it possible that the Chicago Bulls take Wendell Carter Jr. again? I think they do. I think he's just the best player available uh, at this point of the draft. And uh, I actually think, you know, in his prime, he's going to be a nice fit next to Larry Markin as more of the physical inside guy while Markin is the perimeter finesse scorer. Uh, Carter injuries kind of limited him Last season, it's going to be fun to see what he does uh, heading into season number two. He's expected to be a little bit more aggressive this year. I think eventually his shooting is going to catch up to his post-skill polish. Although coming into college, he really, despite having those refined moves with his back to the basket, he didn't convert them at a high level. He's got to definitely improve there in terms of his execution playing back to the basket, facing up. But just a, a very solid player overall, certainly solid physically, but very fundamentally sound down low, has a projectable shooting stroke, um, and I think he's got the chance to be an effective rip protector who can also offer enough switchability 
in the pick and roll game. At number nine of the redraft, the New York Knicks take the guy that they took number 36 of the original 2017 draft. Mitchell Robinson skies into the top 10. If Mitchell Robinson ever figures out what the hell he's doing out there, he is going to be uh, an incredible presence. Finished second in the NBA last year in shot blocking. Didn't even play 20 minutes a game. I mean, he is... uh, He's obviously one of the most exciting athletes out there, but he just knows how to use that athleticism. He anticipates. He blocks threes at a ridiculous rate. Clearly, he blocks shots down low as well, and and he just covers an enormous amount of ground defensively. Now, what I mentioned earlier, figure out what he's doing out there. He fouls at a ridiculous rate also. He doesn't have great awareness. Um, Offensively, though, um, a guy who's probably going to shoot 60% from the floor for his career only takes easy shots but he creates those easy scoring opportunities for himself by running the floor and just playing so high above the rim. And not just does he jump high, but he's so coordinated. I mean, he had some finishes last year where he wasn't even facing the basket or it didn't look like he had any chance of creating a good finishing angle and he managed to pull it off. Um, he's improved his free throw percentage. And I think eventually the coaches are going to want to see if he can make jump shots. Imagine if Mitchell Robinson can make jump shots. So uh, with Mitchell Robinson, you know, in terms of his future value, it's a lot is going to come down to, you know, the thing that's on his shoulders, his head, and can he figure out how to convert all this talent into winning plays and winning basketball and winning defense? But I think at this point, you have to take a chance on him in the top 10. And uh, in terms of upside, he's got the highest ceiling of anybody left on the board. And the Knicks, uh, who, who made a great pick there at 36, I think they'd have to take him at number nine in the redraft. Uh, He's certainly more valuable, I think, around the league um, than Kevin Knox is. We'll make one final pick of the 2018 redraft. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Remember they originally took Mikael Bridges, the hometown kid, who was forced to do an interview with the 76ers hat, thinking he's going to his hometown, only to find out probably seconds later that he'd been shipped to Phoenix. Uh, But Philly moves back and, and takes Zaire Smith, Zaire Smith was number 10 on my board coming out of the draft, and I think he's still 10 on my board. I think Philly would actually should take him uh, number 10 in a redraft. Really tough uh, rookie season, breaking his foot, then suffering an infection and losing all that weight, uh, returning at the end of the season and having some really nice flashes before the playoffs. Had some nice flashes this year in Summer League, looks healthy. I really like his game. And just turned 20 years old this summer. I think he can be effective right now just by using his athletic ability and his mind. But again, 20 years old, I think he's also got the chance to add a lot more skill to his game. By the time he's 25, be a consistent shooter who can also put the ball down and make things happen off the dribble. We're not going to see that right now, but I do think that's in his bag eventually. Um, In the meantime, I love the way his athleticism translates to defensive playmaking, to energy plays, to putbacks on the offensive glass, to easy baskets off cuts. He shows great timeliness, cutting to the basket. And we've seen the flashes of three-point shooting and ball handling and passing. If he's eventually able to add that to his game and and those three skills become a consistent part of his everyday package, man, I think he's got the chance to be an elite role player in this league. And that's why I take him number 10 overall in the redraft, ahead of Mikael Bridges, who may be a little bit more NBA ready, but I think his ceiling 
is capped. I think Mikael Bridges is a 3 and D guy now, and that's what he's always going to be, missing that off-the-dribble element to his game. I think there's a little more to Zaire Smith's game. Uh, and again, at 20 years old, I think it's worth rolling the dice to see how much he develops and how much he can bring his skill level up to meet his elite athletic ability. That'll do it for this week. I think we did enough redrafting. Uh, feel free to tweet me any thoughts, any questions. NBA Draft Was on Twitter. Uh, we will not be back next week. I'll be on vacation going to Florence, Italy, where I studied abroad. I'm taking my wife there. I studied abroad there in 2006 when I was 20. That was 13 years ago. I've been back only once. Uh, but one of my favorite cities in the world. I always said if I wasn't going to live in New York, the only other place I'd go, Florence, Italy. So uh, anyway, I won't be back next week, but we will be back for September, uh, getting into training camp. Uh, Thanks for listening and talk soon.